日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へ Hey, welcome back to the Samurai Archives podcast. This is Chris, the webmaster of the Samurai Archives, and here, as usual, is Nagashino Nate Ledbetter. Something like that, huh? So, today on the、uh, podcast, we'll be talking to Marky Starr, a blogger. I would go so far as to say prolific blogger, based in Tokyo, who writes the Japan This blog, which covers a variety of topics. Most recently,、uh, Marky has done a series on place names, as in why places are called what they are. In Tokyo, and a series of posts on funerary temples of the Tokugawa shoguns. So, with that,、uh, welcome to the podcast, Marky. Thank you very much for having me. It is an honor to be speaking to you guys. So, I, I guess we'll、uh, start the podcast off talking about your, your blog. I, I、uh, did mention you're a pr- prolific blogger. I, I looked, and it looks like you have about 50 posts in the last,、uh, I don't know, month and a half or so.、Um, all History related and or, well, yeah, I guess、uh, you've got the, the place names, why this place is named this, the history behind it, the Tokugawa funerary temples, all that sort of thing. But、uh, what, what, got you to, what got you blogging in the first place?、Uh, well, <clears throat> it's actually a, a long story.、Um, and my focus wasn't really history, although my private interest and like, hobby was. But in the beginning, I found myself on. For example, Facebook or whatever, you know, when living in Japan, making a post, you know, oh, happy Oshogatsu or happy Golden Week or, you know, talking about just daily references to life in Japan. And my friends in Japan would understand what I was talking about, but family and friends back in the US or Europe didn't, you know, they, they were out of the loop、uh, on those things. And rather than ex- re- you know, explaining and re explaining myself uh, every time uh, something like this came up on Facebook, I decided why don't I just make a public post where every New Year's I can just post a link to this is what Japanese New Year's is, or this is what Golden Week is, or、right. uh, when talking about the Emperor. It's just out there once and for all, and I don't have to keep repeating myself. <laughs> But.、Um, After you know, one or two New Year's, it's like, okay, I've already covered that topic and it's finished. So the blog just kind of was left stagnant for about two and a half years, maybe, maybe even three years. And I wanted to bring it back and I couldn't think of any topics. But I'm interested in linguistics, I'm interested in、um, the origins of、uh, place names in, in the Tokyo area, or well, anywhere actually. And I decided, you know what, I'll never run out of a topic if I choose place names. It would give me something to, to research and something to write about. And originally, I, I thought I could just do this once a week. I noticed my page ranking going up the more frequently I posted. So I decided to challenge myself to post once every Monday through Friday. So five posts a week. Which has been actually a grueling schedule, and I don't know if that's going <laughs> to continue for much、right. longer. Yeah, I can imagine. I, you're talking、yeah. to someone who does like one post every four months. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So,、uh, and, and it's it, recently with the 
the place names and the especially the funerary temples, it's become very, very research heavy. So, yeah, it, I, I've got to cut back at some point. <laughs> okay, I, I will probably get more into that the the specifics of uh, of that a little later on. But I guess uh, to start us off here, uh, how did you end up in Japan? That's also a long story. Um, but uh, basically, in uh, university, I had uh, no interest in Japan <laughs> or Japanese history or culture. I, I didn't hate it, but I just didn't know anything about it. And, and, you know, there I was. But I did have a roommate from Japan, and I had a lot of Japanese friends. And after I changed universities, uh, the second time I changed my major, actually. Uh, originally, I was in uh, Latin linguistics. Um, but I changed my major to audio engineering. I was getting involved in the music business, and I had all of these Japanese friends at my school. And after graduation, everyone went their own ways. My Japanese friends went back to Japan. And uh, maybe 10 years later, I had an opportunity to do a performance, a DJ performance, in uh, Tokyo. So I went there, decided to stay for two months, and I stayed in a very Shitamachi area right next to Ueno Park. Nice. And yes, it was an amazing experience for me, and I would just explore every day. I found Aoi no Gomon, the family crest of the Tokugawa family, everywhere, and I kept asking my Japanese friends, like, what is this? And no one could answer any of my questions. Like, all of my friends knew nothing about Japanese history. So at night, I would stay up. I would be checking websites. I may have been checking Samurai Archives. I, I'm not sure if it was around at the time, but I'm pretty sure it was when I first got interested in Japanese history. What year was this? And 2003, 2004. Yeah, we were around. Yeah, it's been around since 1999, give or take. Okay, so then I, I was definitely checking... The, the website for information and um, I don't know, like just doing the research, uh, the, the mystery of it and the, the fact that I'd never been taught anything about Japanese history and also the fact that I was seeing connections between, you know, old Japanese traditions and like modern Japanese, you know, cultural attitudes or behaviors and things like that. Sure. I just became fascinated uh, with it, and now it's, I call it my drug, it's its uh, my drug of choice is Japanese history. <laughs> so uh, that's what brought me to Japan. I thought I would be here for one year just to learn the culture, and now eight years later, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, Japan has that effect on people. It, it does. People become kind of, uh, I don't know, maniacs about it, and I, I guess I'm... <laughs> In that category. Yeah, you could say that uh, that those of us, uh, at least from the Samurai Archive side, I mean, certainly we have a few people who fall into that category. Some of us more than others, but yeah. yeah. Well, you know, there's another thing about Japanese history that is um, kind of unique to me. Um, like I, I mentioned before, I was originally uh, studying Latin linguistics, so I'm I'm also very interested in the Roman Empire and Roman history, early Europe. Um, and if you tell someone that you're interested in that, the conversation gen 
you know, with a European or, or Americans, generally the, the conversation goes, oh, okay, you know, so Rome was interesting because of, you know, some art or blah, blah, blah. But when you talk to Japanese people and you mention uh, that you're interested in Japanese history, the first thing that I get asked is, hey, who's your favorite guy? <laughs> and no one ever asks that about, like, Roman history. Who's your favorite emperor? Or, you know, who who yeah. is more bad? Julius Caesar or... Marcus Agrippa, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. This never comes up in Japanese history. It's like, who's your favorite guy? So, um, and and I've I've always been surprised by myself that I've got an answer to that question. Um, But I I would like to put that question to both of you. Uh, Who is your favorite guy in Japanese history? (laughs) Whoa, the interviewers are being interviewed. I can't, I don't know if I can handle this. (laughs) Go for it, Nate. Uh, well, okay, fine. Um, as if there was any question about who it is for me. Um, I mean, if anybody, you know, most of the most of our listeners know me and and, and know my research interests, uh, the answer obviously is uh, Oda Nobunaga. In my case, uh, simply because he's a fascinating individual that not only had a great effect on the history of Japan, but was very complex in his own right as an individual, and had. You know, negative aspects and positive aspects, which you see depending on which, you know, versions of history you read. But I, I think he'd be a fascinating person to sit down and, and, and have a chochu with and, uh, you know, kind of just kind of pick his brain on, on what he, how he views viewed the world of his time. Uh, so certainly from my perspective, he's he's the number one choice. Uh, if I had to go other directions, um, gosh, uh, I, I think Kusunoki Masashige would be very interesting, uh, just because he's held up as this paragon of loyalty to the, uh, you know, Emperor Godaigo. Uh, and personally, I don't believe that anybody is as, is as, uh, flawlessly, uh, spotless as they make them out to be in history. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting to see what his whole, you know, what, what's really his deal. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's where I'd start, and then of course you know, I mean, any as any period of history has its own uh, people, but but that's probably where I'd go, and, and, and as to not turn this into a who who would uh, who would Nate invite over to dinner uh, to uh, get drunk <laughs> podcast, uh, I'll turn it over to you guys for answers. <laughs> well, uh, I don't have a. As a succinct answer, I'm not so much into the guys that everyone knows all about, uh, because sort of the the interesting aspect of the enjoyment is kind of finding out new things that uh, aren't already out there. So I would have to go with Absolutely. more vague people like Chosokabe Motochika or, or Ooh, what was nice. going on in or Kyushu. Um, I, I was actually talking to uh, Forrest the other day about something along these lines, and he's the other the original webmaster along with myself, and uh, kind of thinking that uh, nowadays. You know, back back 20 years ago, if you wanted to know, know about something, you really had to go to a library. You really had to look around for information, and it was a challenge. And sort of that challenge is what really drove people like myself to actually sort of research and learn things because it's it's this drive to be like, wow, I want to know what's going on. Whereas now with the Internet and with Wikipedia, it's it's almost like you have a game that's really interesting, and then someone just hands you a cheat code. And then two hours later, you're like, I don't need this game anymore. I got the cheat code. I can pretty much do whatever I want, and that's really boring. Why bother? And go on to something else. So it's like uh, nowadays with uh, Wikipedia, if you, I think it's sort of just in general, the Internet is probably killing that, that drive to learn because everything is already there. So 
Uh, I, I, I disagree with that <laughs> to a certain degree. Um, I, I, Wikipedia does make it too easy, but um, I mean, almost uh, every topic that I've chosen to research. Oh, it's not is is because there is no information. Like I want to know. Right. And, and nobody did the work for me, and and I sort of expect it. I expect Wikipedia to have this information. <laughs> but I, if you check Eng, the English version of Wikipedia um, on Japanese history, they've got the, the basics down, like the main people. It, it, I mean, if you need an overview of Japanese history, it's pretty good. But if you want to get really deep into it, it's not out there. And that's, I guess, my goal with my blog is is to answer the questions that aren't there and, and but put them out there in case anyone else does have those answers i think it's a good thing to have the information yeah and, and always the the fact that there are always things that aren't already available that are, are still out there to be learned is is still a bit of a driver i suppose in 30 40 years there might really be nothing nothing left no new frontiers and every, everything's just going to be there I, I can't help but feel that in a way though if everything is kind of available as it is now you might not really get that desire to learn something because you, you kind of get the overview on Wikipedia, and you're like, mm, okay, that was neat, and then move on to something else. Whereas 20 years ago or 15 years ago, you'd, you'd read a little something and be like, wow, I want to know more about this, But and then you have to actually expend the effort to do it, which kind of drives you. But not not to turn this into a debate about Wikipedia, the killer of the Internet or anything. But, uh, <laughs> uh, Gee, Chris, do you have strong opinions about Wikipedia? I've never known that. Oh, you, you heard, yeah, well, episode, I don't remember what episode it is, but uh, Forrest and I talked all about it in, in our our one and only explicit podcast. You know what, though? Uh, it, it is funny. Uh, when you did have that conversation about, uh, and you said that Wikipedia killed uh, independent research on the Internet, um, as I was, like, part of my methodology for uh, researching, the, especially the place names, is the first thing I do is I do check the English Wikipedia site to see if there's any information on there. Um, generally, to find like tangential connections, like right. are there other people or places associated with this, or you know, just get a general overview. But there is no way to rely on it because <laughs> I have found uh, place names that were like they they would say something on the English Wikipedia that was just absolutely incorrect and and i don't even know where they were getting that information from um the the place name for ikebukuro they were citing a plaque that was located in near one of the exits of the station and this plaque does not even exist so sort of typical of wikipedia but <laughs> well the japanese the japanese version actually was pretty accurate uh, oh that place name, yeah. So if you switch to the Japanese page, um, there's a, as far as place names go, there's yeah. a little higher accuracy. Not to turn this into a discussion of Wikipedia itself, but I, I do find that the Japanese, like, if I'm researching something about Japan, I can relatively trust the Japanese Wikipedia page. Sure. I cannot trust at all the English wikipedia page because well that's perfectly understandable i mean yeah. look at the the u.s mm -hmm. civil war i would feel comfortable trusting what's on wikipedia because there are so many rabid u.s civil war uh, fanboys out there who would rabidly sure. you know correct any wrong information on the u.s page whereas 
Japanese history. No one really cares, and it's it's all pop culture references pretty much anyway in on the English page. So well, I, I, it, and the people who are writing on the English page are getting their information from guys like Turnbull, and we'll just stop there before I go berserk. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, okay, Marky, who is your uh, favorite history guy of Japan? Katsukaishu. Wow, that was quick. Ooh. Yeah, right off the top. Yeah. Right off the top. Um, because he was the uh, the inspiration for Sakamoto Ryoma. Yeah, I mean that's part of it, but I'm glad you didn't didn't say Sakamoto Ryoma was your favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, not not that there's anything wrong with him, but uh, Katsukaishu had great hair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a bonus. Yeah, and. <laughs> But for me, uh, you know, when, when we look at the, the Bakumatsu, I think people tend to always pick sides. And they're, they're like, okay, you're, you're pro-Bakufu or you're pro-Imperial Court or something yeah, like, like that. I'm, I'm for the Shinsengumi and I hate everyone else. Yeah, yeah. And what I tend to think of that era is that that's a national crisis in a, a country that's not quite united in the way that we would think of modern Japan. And each of these Han or, you know, whatever, each of these independent states are producing certain samurai who are rising to the occasion. And they're like, you know what, I got a solution to this problem. And the ones who we look at as the kind of bad guys or uh, whatever, or the ones who are the, the winners or the losers, is all dependent on on what happened after the, the Meiji Restoration. And... So I don't like to look at it as, you know, us against them, or these are the good guys, or these are the bad guys, which a lot of people do, especially in Japan. Uh, it's very polarized like that. But I look at these as independent thinkers coming up with solutions, but most of them were just thinking within the confines of their Han, you know, or, or very... They had no vision outside of like Edo, late Edo Jedi thinking. And when you look at Katsukaishu, he had a vision. He was really thinking differently than the rest of the people, and he was having an effect on people, like Sakamoto Ryoma, who uh, would, you know, apparently wanted to kill him. And they went and they talked, and he was sold on uh, Katsukaishu's position. To me, that's very inspiring. And, well, it, to me, that, that was a fascinating thing, is, you know, here are a, a culture of, you know, an elite culture that, pr- you know, prizes martial arts, and especially with the sword. And this guy was like, you know, I, I don't really want to kill anybody. I don't really, I'm not interested in, in, in using my sword so much. I'm interested in, in intellectual issues. He was inter- interested in martial issues, obviously. Uh, sure. He pushed the Navy. Um, but I, I don't know. The guy was fascinating. And he saved the city I live in. You know, I'm living in Tokyo. And he, Saigo Takamori could have come here and burned the city to the ground killing a lot of people, destroying a lot of things, and they were able to negotiate, you know, a settlement peacefully, and uh, the only thing that got burnt was uh, the Tokugawa funerary temple in Ueno. To bring it back on topic. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the uh, Bakumatsu is one of my, I find it really interesting because the politics 
and the events are just so ridiculously intertwined and complicated, it's almost impossible to really understand what causes A, B, C, D, E, and F. But so many different things are happening at the same time. It's so hard to see what's connected and what isn't. And uh, I, I still don't think of real, you know, real good analysis has ever really come along that really looks into how everything happened and 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 why. It happened so quickly. Yeah, it was just a period of what five years or so, and it was just, just so much was happening. I think it's a little longer than that. Uh, well, the the bulk of it, but yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. But I mean, definitely, if you, if you are judging by uh, the dress and and the the art. Um, of, and the thinking of the early Bakamatsu, and then you go to those final days, uh, it's it's night and day difference. Right. Let's see, uh, getting back to your uh, blog, actually, uh, what uh, what sort of, uh, out of all the various different types of posts, I know you've done different series of things, so what, what uh, gets the most feedback for you? What, what is it that people respond to the most on your blog? <laughs> um, I got a lot of feedback for calling Kiyokawa Hashiro a douche eight times in one <laughs> post. <laughs> um, and, and it was generally positive feedback. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, uh, the kind of feedback that makes me happy is where um, it seems that a lot of my readers are not uh, experts in Japanese history and maybe they've stumbled across the blog and uh, they're like, I'm in Japan on business for a year or I'm, I'm here uh, on the JET program for two years or something and I want to know about Japanese history and I just found your blog by accident and, you know, now this weekend I've got an activity. I'm going to go see this spot because uh, you put up some pictures and I'm intrigued. Um, actually, <clears throat> about two two days ago or three days ago, uh, someone commented on the blog about my post on Tokugawa Hidetada's funerary temple, which was supposedly this massive complex uh, that was supposed to be the Nikko of Edo. Right, um, right. It was, yeah, the largest of the Edo-based funerary temples. And it, it was sandwiched between Ieyasu and Iemitsu. So they said that the artwork was basically on par uh, with those two. And it was the Meiji government thought it was so wonderful, they let it stay. They didn't ask for any dismantling or shrinking of the site. Um, and it, it didn't last the uh, firebombing in World War II, which was uh, really a, a shame. But a few of the sites are, a few of the structures are still there. Um, one is restored beautifully, and uh, there is even some archaeological research done there, and, and you can see some of the excavation as well. Uh, and someone said, hey, you know, that's going to be my weekend plan this Sunday, and that made me uh, very happy. So th that kind of feedback is, is good. But I don't know, I don't have a, a lot of traffic because the subject matter is so narrow and uh i feel your pain <laughs> yeah so um there's just a small group of people who go there also um japanese uh i get japanese visitors who are interested in learning english but they like um japanese history so they want to read about japanese history from a foreigner's perspective in english and that's that was like the most surprising thing i didn't expect 
uh, anything like that. Right. Lots of questions about what douche is. Yeah. <laughs> um, not yet. And I, I'm not sure if I could explain that one in Japanese either. <laughs> well, maybe I could. I <laughs> guess you never know till you try. Yes, yes. So I guess, uh, so uh, yeah, so you're currently in Tokyo, and uh, of course, uh, I, I guess, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of the historical sites in Tokyo were more or less bombed out uh, during World War II. I know there's still various temples here and there. Yes, that but, is. Uh, yeah, what? Uh, so, for people who who, want, who intend to travel to Tokyo at some point, what are the what are some of the places that you would uh, uh, recommend? And Nate, I, I encourage you to jump in on it too, since you uh, sure. live there yourself. Sure. Uh, there are lots of uh, places that you should go. Um, I, I guess first and foremost, I would recommend. I'm going to go back to Tokugawa Funerary Temple, so Ueno Park and Shiba Park. So Ueno Park is in Ueno, and there you can find uh, Toshogu, a, a temple dedicated to Tokugawa Ieyasu. You can find a five-story pagoda, like very rare in the Tokyo area. Um, you can find the remains of the Edo Daibutsu, so uh, the the big Buddha. So usually people think about Nara and Kamakura for big Buddha statues. Edo, uh, well Tokyo also had one, uh, but it was destroyed in the Great Kanto earthquake in 1923. Also there, you can find the tomb of the Shogitai, who were pro-shogunate forces who did a kind of last stand battle. Uh, against the Meiji army, kind of last samurai style, and they are also enshrined in that park. Uh, also, there's an, one of the surviving temples of that area was uh, is called Kiyomizu Kanando, and in that temple, they have a painting of the Battle of Ueno, which was that last standoff, and it was the battle that actually destroyed the Kaneji temple precincts that were formerly on the site, uh, and that's why it was converted into a park. Shiba Koen on the other, uh, Shiba Park, on the other hand, uh, is in the Minato Ward, and... Right. Yeah, also... I used to work not lot too far from there, so... In the, the military, uh, what is it? Azabu Moto, uh, Nishi Azabu? Yeah, yeah, Nishi Azabu area in um, the, uh, it's called Hardy Barracks, but uh, yeah, it's um, it's actually, yeah, right near that area, not too far of a walk from Rapungi Hills. But yeah, Shiba, Shiba Park is great because uh, you can probably see one of the finest reconstructions of any of the Tok- Tokugawa funerary temples. The thing is, it's it's almost too perfect that the the copper embellishments uh, like glisten in the sun. It's it's really fantastic, but gives you an idea of what the funerary complexes looked like when they were new. Probably for most of the Edo period, they did not look that that spectacular, but uh, they do. This one does look really good, and. Some of the other ones that still have the war damage are visible there, uh, so you can 
have a good contrast. You know? So those are the two places I would recommend. How about you, Nate? Um, well, if, if you're going to go to Tokyo as a tourist, then obviously uh, Ueno and uh, Asakusa, uh, which you covered, are, are probably the number one japanese e thing that I would recommend. Um, and I, quite frankly, I love Asakusa. Um, I love the uh, Kaminari Mon. I love that whole area. That's like one of the few places in Tokyo that I went to and I felt like I was in Japan from a traditional sense. Yeah, I was there in uh, 2011, actually. Yeah. Did a lot of heavy drinking before going to the uh, Kaminari area. But You know what? Actually, uh, back to the funerary temples, um, Tokugawa Ietsuna's Nitenmon, the the uh, Nitenmon is the two god gate right, right. before you enter a Buddhist temple. So on the left and the right side, there will be these two kind of demon-looking gods to keep out you know evil influences. Those uh, statues were moved by the Meiji government from because they did the. They had an edict to separate Shinto and Buddhism, and they were trying to take, especially with the Tokugawa temples, they wanted to separate that as they were establishing a state Shinto for emperor worship in the Meiji uh, era. And they moved the statues to Asakusa, and Asakusa has a small gate to the, I think it's to the left of the Kaminari Mon, and the two gods inside of that gate were taken from Tokugawa Ietsuna's funeral. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So they they survived the firebombing, which is a wonderful thing. Yes. And, um, yeah, they are, they are there. <laughs> so, Nate, any other areas that you would recommend aside from uh, Tokyo Tower and Disneyland? Uh, I would not recommend Tokyo Tower, and I would not recommend TDL uh, if you're there to see anything in Japan. Uh, what I would recommend is if you actually want to see Japan as it is right now. I mean, I used to live in uh, Shibiaku, uh, hmm. about a 10-minute walk from Shibuya Station. Go to Shibuya. It's... I mean, even if all you do is go and sit in the Starbucks across, um, you know, on top of Shibuya Crossing. So you can watch the giant P- crosswalk, yeah. Yeah, that it's worth it because that is Japan. Um, Omote Sando is a fantastic place to walk around and sure. see people. If you're looking for traditional Japan, if you're looking for Japan from a historical context, leave Tokyo, please. <laughs> Get on a train, <laughs> go somewhere else. Because really, outside, totally outside of, of what Marky has already talked about, yeah, you, you need to leave Tokyo. I mean, I love living in Tokyo. I actually was very surprised when I first moved to Tokyo how much I enjoyed it. Because having had my formative Japanese experience in Nagoya, I, I had a little bit of an anti-Tokyo bias. Uh, mm. Much like somebody from you know Boston or Chicago would feel some sort of anti-New York bias, because New York is the image of big city living in the United States, and mm. and so forth. So I like went in, I like moved to Tokyo with this impression that I was going to hate it, and I actually really loved living there. But 
there's not a whole lot of traditional Japan to. I mean, there is a whole lot of traditional Japan to. You got to you got to dig that. for it. You have to search for it, mm-hmm. and it it's much better to get out of Tokyo and go see other places. Just my own personal opinion. If if you want to like look at modern Japan, you know, if your focus of Japan and what what you know of Japan is the anime modernistic society, then Tokyo is a great place. But if you want to see real Japan, leave Tokyo. Go to places that have rice patties. That, that's pretty much what I would tell you. You, you know, and I, I agree. And if you do come to Tokyo and you want to see that, quote unquote, old Japan, um, there are a lot of day trips that you can take. You know, if you're based in Tokyo, you can just go out and come back. And I mean, one of those is, of course, Nikko. That's right. the famous one. Again, a Tokugawa funerary temple. And I think that's about two hours uh, by, even by a local train, I think it's about two hours to get there. Um, another option is Kawagoe in Saitama. And so there was a Kawagoe Han in the Edo period. They had very close connections with uh, the shogunate, and they call the city even today Koedo. Uh, it's a little, little Edo. And there you can see uh, another Toshogu, a shrine to Ieyasu. You can also see the oldest extant portion of Edo Castle. So Tokugawa Iemitsu expanded the castle, and he donated the room that he was born in, Kasuga no Tsubone, his his wet nurse's uh, dressing room or like makeup room, and and another room he he donated to them. And while most of the castle was lost in the Great Kanto earthquake and the firebombing, the oldest sections of the real castle are there in Kawagoe. Right. And also the these a uh, special type of stone warehouse that the shogunate used were uh, are still visible there. And another place is in Chiba, uh, also a very short train ride from Tokyo, called Sawara. So one of the cool things I think about Edo versus Tokyo is if you look at maps, you can easily see this, and, and even Bakamatsu era photographs, Edo was like a little Venice. There, you know, rivers were everywhere, and this was one of the major modes of, of transportation, or the fastest mode of transportation through the city. So all the valleys were marked by these you know, rivers. In Tokyo, they filled in most of those rivers before the Tokyo Olympics. Right. So you, you see very few rivers, and if you do see a river, there's generally a highway running over it because it was an easy way to not tear down buildings and just throw up a highway very quickly. And it's really sad, actually, that they've lost that kind of river pathway uh, system that they had. But if you go to Sawada in Chiba, you can see a town that has, almost has not changed since the Edo period. They've got the rivers running through the city, and the rivers are lined with warehouses and, and the businesses that needed to use the, the river. And you can actually take little boat tours around the city, uh, just as you, you could in the Edo period if you were a, quote-unquote, you know, a samurai tourist doing your Sankin uh, Kotai duty in Edo. You might have taken a boat tour around the city. So I think that that's well worth the visit. Sure, sure, yeah, absolutely. 
I, I mean, and yeah, I, I certainly don't want to suggest that there's not good things to see in Tokyo, but it, mm. with layers of, how shall I say, modernity, modernity. yeah, <laughs> thrown on top of it, you, you do have to do your homework to find it. I loved, I, I really enjoyed living in Tokyo. For the for further reference, uh, uh, I lived uh, literally a a three minute walk from Yoyogi Cohen. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, my walking, you, you know, to walk the dog, we would go past Yoyogi Cohen up to Omotesando and, and walk that area. I walked from, I you know, I'd rode my bike along Omotesando to get to work in uh, the uh, Nishiozabu area. And, and so, very Yamanote. Yeah, yeah. Go outside that area, then maybe you find different stuff. Certainly, I, I think it's easier if you were to get outside of Tokyo, and, and not even talking about the Kyoto area per se, but just even cities like even like the Tokai area, which mm. I'm very I'm very familiar with from having lived in Nagoya, or uh, Kyushu as well. I'm familiar with from having lived there. You know. There's a there's a, a ton of uh, of places you can go uh, the the Fukui area or uh, you know the, the the old area that used to be Kaga and and so forth is fantastic if you if you get up in that direction you know to 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 see stuff but we're getting away from the point of the podcast which is talking about your work and talking about the Tokyo area so I can so, talk about I can talk about Japan <laughs> anything is okay. <laughs> I would certainly like to know, like, I mean, you talked a little bit about the Wikipedia stuff and and, and whatever, but how mm. do you do the? Because I'm fascinated by your pieces on place names, because oh. yeah, you know, I'm also, I mean, I'm I'm not quite as motivated to do the research as you are, but I am interested mm. in the etymology of place names, and yeah, yeah, part of it is because back when I was a college student. Decades ago, one of the one of the guidebooks for Japan that I bought, which was fantastic, was called uh, what was it? It was like a Japan on a budget or something like that. And one of the uh, or no, it was Japan for the impoverished. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. That, that was me when I was there. Yeah, well, it was there for you know, it was, <laughs> it was that for, for for any of us who were college students certainly, and. It was fantastic because one of the things this this guy did was he would for every place he he had an entry for he would do a, an etymology of the place name and why it was named such and such right so it, that always I, I was like that was one of the big fa- I mean aside from the fact that he was telling you you know which rail pass which uh, you know ju hachiseishun kipu or whatever he was telling you to use. He would sure. tell you, you know, the, this the, the etymology of why this place was named such. So that would always interested me. And, and so reading through your blog, which I, I do because you have graciously linked mine, and in the con in the in the time that we've been doing this podcast recording, I have rectified a gross oversight on my part and linked yours. Is, is, is that's one of the things that I get that I enjoy out of reading your blog? Is 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 the you know, this place is named such because of. So, could I get you to talk a little bit about why 
such and such place. I mean, how do you do the research for that? I guess is. I mean, people can go to the blog and and read it themselves for you know why Daikanyama is named Daikanyama or whatever. But talk about how you go through that process of picking the place names and then researching it and then putting it on the net. Okay. As far as choosing a place name, it's it's pretty much random. Um, you know, sometimes I'll just be on the train and I pass by a station and I look at – basically, you look at the kanji. And, you know, like when we look at a place name in English, there's, you know, like this is Johnsonville. It's like, oh, and there's a guy named Johnson. This is his town. Okay. Uh, you know, maybe we can do something with, with that or we can assume something with that. Because kanji has a meaning – it, it becomes a little more complicated. Um, so you know, sometimes I'll just become fascinated by this place name. Right. Uh, or at times my wife will just be like, hey, why is this place called this? I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'll go find out because uh, she doesn't want to do the research. But anyways, after I pick a, a place name, then I, I make a list. I've got two lists. I've got my potentially easy list in my potentially difficult list and that's where uh, Wikipedia comes in if the English or Japanese Wikipedia uh, is pointing me in like too many different directions uh, and it seems really difficult you go in the difficult list if it seems fairly straightforward uh, I'll do that but it's not always a good way to judge the reality of the situation because some of the easiest place names have turned out to be some of the most <laughs> challenging. Right, right. But then after I pick a place name, yeah, I, I look at the English Wikipedia to get tangential information. I go to the Japanese Wikipedia to get the kind of, let's say, the party line of what the history is. And then after that, uh, there are a lot of diachronic linguistic uh, dictionaries and and some other resources like that on the internet. There are also uh, a couple of guys, uh, Japanese guys, who do place name blogs, just only place names. Right, right. About, and, and so I check these guys out. Um, I haven't contacted any of them. To sit down and you know drink a beer with with them and and, and talk about it. But then I, I do the research and, 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 and I write it. And I have to make a lot of decisions about the etymologies. And I mentioned earlier, uh, I have a background in Latin linguistics. And it's particularly a branch of Latin linguistics called diachronic Latin linguistics. So you've got Latin language and then you've got French, Italian, Spanish, Romanian, whatnot. And we studied how the language changes. So I'm very familiar with uh, etymology and uh, linguistic changes over time. Not particularly Japanese, because I never specialized in that. But I can sort of smell something that's fishy. Sure. And there are a lot of these uh, so-called folk etymologies where people look at things and they say, well, look at the kanji, it means this. And when you look at the historical record, that's not exactly true. And a lot of place names, the ones that are pre-Edo period, those place names are often ateji. So it's kanji that are used for their phonetic value and not their ideographic meaning. So those, con like Hibiya, for example, 
the kanji has absolutely nothing to do with the actual name. Uh, Nippori near uh, Yanaka and near Kaneji uh, right. is also Ateji. So it's there's a lot of pitfalls, but the the methodology is pick a place, decide if it's going to be easy or hard, and then you know sort through as much information as I can. And it's it's exhilarating research to say the least, actually. <laughs> And that's a wrap for part one of our talk with Marky Starr. We'll be back with part two in about two weeks. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments, send them along to us at Twitter, at Samurai Archives, or hit us up at the forum at japanhistoryforum.com, or via Gmail to samuraipodcast at gmail.com. And you can also catch us on Facebook. And we also hope you'll be willing to support the podcast by using the Amazon link that you can find at the podcast blog. Making purchases through that link doesn't actually cost you anything, but it does kick back a little bit for the podcast. We also have the Samurai Archive store, which you can get to by going to shopsamurai.com. And there's also the Samurai Archives bookstore powered by Amazon. All of these links and more can be found on the podcast blog at samuraipodcast.com and also at the Samurai Archives main page. So that's it for this week. See you next time. <laughs>